God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you're here with us this morning. We thank you that as we bring that offering of praise and worship to you, God, that it is a sweet aroma to you, that this uh, warms your heart as it warms ours. God, we do pray that you bring revival, that you bring revival in us, that you cause us to have a revival in our spirit. And God, that as we do that, God, that you will cause a revival to cover this land. And just people get a picture of that in your mind, what that looks like. Like, look at the ground that you're standing on. Ask God to bring revival there. Look at the ground in your house. Ask God to bring revival there. Look at the ground in your school, in your workplace. Just look down. You know what it looks like. Ask God to bring revival there. God, thank you for the work that only you can do. God, we are tools to be used by you and we offer ourselves again this morning to be used by you to help bring revival in this land. God, I pray, as we know you are, that you are working in the hearts of people in our community, people that we know, people that we don't know. God, help us to see, help us to to look up, help us to see the people around us, the community around us. And God, we know that they need to know you so badly. God, bring revival this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to church. Take a seat for a moment. Do not mingle yet. It's not your time. Your time will come, but it's not now. So while I'm talking to you, you can be checking into the in-person service if you're here. Uh, Welcome to those people who are joining online. Uh, If you can be checking into the online service, that would be fantastic. Also, while I'm talking to you, you can pop your devices out and be uh, filling in a Connect card or a Giving card or a Next Steps card or whatever you'd like. It will pop up in the chat in a moment when the MC gets down and gets back online. So, um, for you online people. So... um, uh, we might start by taking up the offering uh, in just a moment. Just settle down. Um, while we're taking up the offering, I'm going to get you to watch um, a little Alpha promo. Um, so we're starting Alpha in sale here next Sunday night. So week week today, Alpha starts in sale again. And we really just encourage you to be inviting people who are in your circle, people that you know who might uh, be warm to... Um, the things of God might be asking some of the big questions of life, especially after the last two years, you know, where people have maybe noticed for the first time that they are not in control of everything like they thought they were. Um, so any anybody like that, um, just encourage you to um, yeah, be inviting people along. So it starts here next Sunday night, as I said, 6pm. We have a great team ready to go. We've got all the super food lined up for you. Uh, One of the big features of Alpha is the food and uh, we're running Alpha in Yarram at the moment as well. So week seven tomorrow in Yarram and then our Holy Spirit weekend next week as well. Um, And one of the questions that's popped up already is what are we supposed to do on Monday nights when Alpha's finished? Like the food has just been so good. So um, that is a feature of Alpha. It's not the best thing, but it is a good thing about Alpha. So bearing all of that in mind, what a fabulous time you'll have. Um, Watch the video just uh, and we'll be taking up the offering. Now you can go. We all have that person in our lives. 
the neighbour we pass by every day outside our homes. That co-worker we see at the office five days a week. All those friends we catch up with every once in a while. People we wish could know and experience the love of God. How do we share it? Where do we even start? Deep inside, we know that it will cost us something to open up our lives and share our faith. It takes time, vulnerability, sacrifice, the risk of rejection. But this is our call to open our lives and to share Christ with the people close to us. Because it's only through opening your life up that spaces for honest conversations are possible. Spaces where people can truly be themselves and explore the deepest parts of life with people they know and trust. That's why we're running Alpha. It's a course over several weeks where you can invite your friends to explore life's biggest questions over a meal. It's a chance for you to invite that person into an honest conversation about faith because when it's hard to find the moment or the words or the courage, you can simply invite. Alpha, who will you invite? Hopefully that encourages you uh, to take a risk. Uh, all really you have to lose is, is maybe somebody saying, no, not, not interested at the moment. But um, it's worth taking a risk if there's somebody in your life that you think would benefit from doing Alpha. As Christians, if you haven't done Alpha before, actually it's a really good course for you to do too because it will help you have a really easy um, and simple way of being able to defend your faith to other people like some of the arguments, some of the big questions that get asked about faith are answered in Alpha. Um, and so I encourage you, even if you've been a Christian for a long time and haven't done Alpha, uh, we would love to see you sign up to that as well. So um, start registering now. Um, that would be fabulous. All right, after the service today, we're having a Connect lunch. So if you are new or new-ish or feel new to Sail Baptist Church, then we would love you to stay for um, a soup and sandwich lunch afterwards. So, um, And during the mingle time, uh, here's a little suggestion for you. If you meet somebody who's new or new-ish, uh, invite them to stay for lunch and then maybe stay with them. Um, so we've got plenty of soup and plenty of sandwiches out there. So... Uh, we would love as many people as possible to stay today for lunch and just connect with one another in um, a bit of a longer sort of way than what we normally have time for on a Sunday morning. So make sure you do that. Um, all right, let's stand and we'll pray and we can get back into things. Oh, wait, you need to mingle. Uh, you thought you'd got away with that. So what I'd like you to do now is turn around and look at somebody that you don't know particularly well. Lock eyes with them and go. Oh Lord Jesus, we, we remember you this morning. We remember your grace, the love that you poured out on the cross. God, we choose to cast our mind to Calvary, to where our sin was taken and your life was given. God, just for these moments, we choose to 
put aside the things that are going on in our world right now and to remember what you have done and the future that you have secured on the cross. God, I pray that we might have that eternal perspective every day, every moment. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you might fill us again with your presence. Fill us again with the ability to know you and to love you and to surrender to you. You know, it says in Corinthians, apart from the Spirit, no one can say that Jesus is Lord. I'm paraphrasing. But what Paul is trying to say is that it's the Spirit at work in you that is able to say that Jesus is Lord. It's the Spirit at work in you that is able to proclaim Him as King. And so if you're in a a situation right now where you're you're doubting your salvation, you're doubting your faith, but you can say, "I, I know Jesus is Lord. That's evidence of the Spirit at work in you right now. That's the Holy Spirit in you, working His goodness, working His grace. Apart from the Spirit, you can't say that. No one can say to the Lord that Jesus is Lord, apart from the Spirit. And so, God, we thank you for the assurance of your salvation in us this morning. That you give us Jesus, but you give us the ability to believe as well. You give us the faith, the saving faith. God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the good things that you give to us and all the good things that you are. We pray that you might have your way in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning to those online this morning. Great to have you with us. Great to have people in the house this morning. Very cool. Very cool. It's another um, big week of people having COVID and the flu and all sorts of sicknesses. And so we're continuing to pray for people to, to be healed and to be, for people to be well. Um, I know there's been heaps of generous hospitality going around as well, people providing meals for each other and loving each other. So can I um, say thank you for all that you're doing. And um, if you know someone who's doing unwell or not doing so well, then uh, a meal is always well received. Uh, a nice cooked meal is always well received. So um, if you know someone, then that's a great way to love and look after each other. If you want to be part of a meals team, Pastor Jackie coordinates a meals team and she'd love more people to be involved, by the way. If you're ever thinking, oh, I love cooking for people and giving meals out. and um, We sort of try to coordinate a bit of a database of cookers, chefs, I should say cookers. Cookers is what chefs use. <sighs> Cooks. Nah, I like chefs better. Sounds more, sounds more professional. Um, anywho, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Get on board. Hey, we're in week four of Elijah. Um, who's been enjoying the series on Elijah? Anyone? A few of us? Good. Because this morning we are in probably the most well-known story of Elijah. Um, 1 Kings 18, if you want to get ready. I'm going to read um, 
the, the passage for this morning. It's 30 verses. It's, it's a long passage, and I sort of debated whether I should read it all or not. Um, but, you know, I, there's just something about reading God's Word that I can talk about it, but it's not God's Word, uh, so it's just good to hear it. Um, so we're going to look at it. Uh, and, I mean, there is just so much that you could pull out of this story, and probably if, if you've been in church... Um, any amount of time, you've probably heard a sermon or two on this story, just because it's a, it's a good preacher's um, passage. Uh, there's lots of funny things in there, and, I mean, not just funny things, there's lots of really good stuff too, but there's just, I mean, you could make a movie on this, and it's, it's great. So, let's have a look, 1 Kings 18, 16 to 46, it says this, Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, then Ahab went to meet Elijah, if you don't know the context of where we're up to, you need to listen to last week's message. Just excuse yourself, go onto YouTube, go find it, watch it, then come back and watch this week's message because you'll be behind. Anyway, Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him, then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I've not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all, do you say Baals or Baals? Mm, yeah, well. Okay. Baals, yeah, well. Baals, Baals. I think Americans say Baals because um, verse 19, now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered, them, gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I'll prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not, the, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire, he is God. All the people answered, that's fine. Can you imagine that conversation? Yeah, sounds reasonable. Then Elijah, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom, until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. All right, just pause here. Just say that with me. Come near me. One more time. Come near me. We're going to hone in on that phrase in a second. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones 
according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said, a second time. And they did it a second time. And then he said, a third time. And then they did it a third time. I mean, if they weren't tired enough, they were exhausted by now. So the water ran all around the altar and he even filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering, uh, at the time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, today let it be known... Let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so, these, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let even one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went down, went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground, put his face between his knees, then he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. So he went up, looked and said, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming from the sea. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jez Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah. He tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Whew, we got there. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you're able to teach us, encourage us, challenge us, shape our lives with your word. And we pray that you would do that this morning. We pray that you give us the ears to hear your voice and to obey what it is you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever have this conversation at home with the people um, in your life? What do you want to have for dinner tonight? What do you want to eat? Um, and the person asking, I don't know how it works in your house, uh, the person asking often maybe has in mind what they want to eat, but they just want someone to tell them back uh, what do you want to eat. Uh, and sometimes this conversation can go on for a long time. Oh, I don't mind, you choose. I don't mind, you choose. I know this happens sometimes for us. Oh, okay, I want KFC. No, I don't want that. All right, I want peace. No, I don't want that. <laughs> what do you want then? I want this. Okay, well, let's have that. I don't mind. Um, I mean, first, can we just acknowledge what, it is, what a luxury it is, a privilege it is to be able to even ask that question, what do you want to eat for dinner? Um, but second, because we get to ask it, it's, it's hard to answer. It's like, what do I want? Oh, that's a good question. Alana, is, my wife, is really great at knowing what she wants in the future to eat. And what I mean by that is, like, we'll have a birthday or a celebration coming up, and she goes, you know what I'm feeling to eat for my birthday? And that's, like, two weeks away. I want this meal. I'm like, how do you know what you want to eat in two weeks' time? 
she asked me often, like, my birthday's coming up in August, 31st, for those taking notes. Um, <clears throat> what do you want to have for your birthday dinner? I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's like, something hot? Oh, I don't know, something cold? I don't know. Probably a burger. But um, I always want a burger. If there's ever an option, I'll have a burger. I like keeping the options open because I don't know what I feel like. Like, even tonight for dinner, oh, I couldn't tell you what I feel like yet because it's not dinner time yet. For lunch, maybe I feel like soup and sandwiches. For snacks, probably lollies. But what if there's something better? What if I haven't chosen the right thing? What if, you know, you go out for a restaurant, someone orders something next to you, and you're like, oh, I got it wrong. Or sometimes I got it right. Look what they got. <laughs> Silly people. Should have got the burger. Anyway. The culture of indecision. Commitment to food is hard. It's hard, but commitment to Jesus, sometimes that's even harder. When Elijah comes and, and challenges the, the people of Israel, he says this, why do you waver between two opinions? It's like they're sitting on the fence here. And when you come to this story, you think, they're not really sitting on the fence, are they? I mean, they're following the bars of the, the time. How are they, how is, what's, what's the go here? What's, what's Elijah talking about? They're wavering. And I think it's important to note that is in um, verse, I didn't write down which verse it is that he says that. Um, yeah. 21, Elijah approached all the people. So he's, talk, he's talking to Israel. He's not talking to the prophets here, of Baal. He's talking to the people of Israel, and he says, why are you wavering? And so I reckon maybe what's happening at this time for the people in Israel, because remember, they've come from, they know who Yahweh is. It's not like there's no memory or no understanding of who God is. They, they've got a history of faith, and they're, you know, they've had some good kings and some bad kings, and now they're on a pretty bad run at the moment. But they know who God is, and so these prophets of Baal and this culture that we're living in, there's like, that's, I mean, we're following this way of living, but in the back of our mind, we're still thinking that maybe Yahweh is the true God. It's like we're wavering between these two opinions. We want the best of both worlds. It's not easy um, sometimes to, to get off the fence and to to choose one side because then you can't go the other way. But that place of indecision, that um, picture, if you like, of straddling a fence, not that that's comfortable, it's a dangerous place to live. That word that Elijah used to waver between two opinions is actually this idea of limping. And it's like this idea of uh, their walk is staggered. It's, they've got an uneven walk. They're, they're, they're staggering around like maybe a drunk person all over the place, unable to commit to one way or another. The unsteadiness of this position is given in the word itself. With each foot, with each step, every decision is wavering. It's like, where am I going to step next? What am I going to do next? It's like people knew that Baal wasn't the way to go and Yahweh was, but the pressure of the crowd was too much for them. And I think 
in today's culture, in today's time, there is a great pull on us as well to sort of have one foot in two camps, one foot on each side of the fence. A great pull to lead these double lives, maybe God on Sundays, but self every other day of the week. Love for God, but at the same time, love for the world, back and forth. How long will you waver? How long will you waver is the question that Elijah asks. There's plenty of verses and ideas um, in Scripture around this idea of double-mindedness or wavering. Psalm 119, verse 113. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love your instruction. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or James 1, 5 to 8, says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. How long will you waver between two opinions, Elijah asks. If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. And what did the people do? They didn't answer. Their response is just silence. It's like the conviction of Elijah's question had just grabbed their hearts. There is no answer or response that could be given to Elijah's question. The Lord is God. There is no good argument to not fully surrender to him. The answer is even clear in our own minds, in our own hearts. There is no good reason to not fully surrender to God, yet we still find ourselves in times and in seasons wavering, living double-minded. If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. I want to look, that's my introduction, by the way, I'm giving you the structure. I want to look at three, three prayers quickly. Three prayers that we see in this passage. The first being the ineffective prayer, the second being the public prayer, and the third being the private prayer. The ineffective prayer, public prayer, private prayer. So the first, the ineffective prayer. This is the prophets of Baal. Verse 26 to 29, let's quickly look at it. They took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. There was no sound, no one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. That's a very nice translation of saying maybe he's, he's gone to, to the potty or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping or will wake up. You know, Elijah's really taken it to them. Elijah's um, pretty brazen here, isn't he? It's like he's one man and then he's got these 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400 prophets of Asherah. He's got 950 men standing in front of him and he's just like taunting them. They've got knives and spears, you know, it comes up later, like, they're cutting themselves. I would be just... And Elijah hasn't done anything yet either. I mean, it's not like Elijah's 
done his side of the bargain and gone, ha, 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 see? I mean, then I could understand the mockery and the... But Elijah's confidence here is astounding. The prophets of Baal, their prayer is a performance. Their prayer is not one of humility or surrender, but it's really a performance before their God. It's hyped up, full of passion, but completely ineffective. I think there's two reasons why this prayer is so ineffective. I mean, it's very obvious. You can look at this and say, I know why it's not effective. They're praying to the wrong person. That's one reason why it's not effective. They are not praying to the true God. They reject the true God. Glaringly obvious was they were not praying to Yahweh, the true God. Those prayers were directed in the wrong way. But the second one was that they were dependent on their works. It seems the power was not in the Baal, but it was in the dancing or their efforts. From their actions, they believed the more they cried out, the more chance they had of having their prayers answered. I mean, it's not complicated, but this is important for us to understand when it comes to prayer. There is an ineffective way to pray. There is an ineffective way to pray. And that ineffective way to pray is believing that your performance is somehow reflected in the way God will answer your prayer. That your, the power is in the prayer. You know, sometimes um, people will say prayers are powerful. No, they're not. God is powerful. God is powerful. You know, one of our values is praying people, believing for the impossible. When we were discussing this thing, one of the suggestions was we should say powerful prayers or something like that. And there was that big understanding of like, we're not saying that prayer is powerful. We're not putting our faith in prayer. We're putting our faith in God. Prayer is the vehicle to God. He is the one full of power. Our prayers don't need to be better, but we need to pray with faith and we need to pray to God. There was an ineffective prayer and that was the, the prophets of Baal. Then there was the public prayer, and this is the one I maybe want to spend the most time on, then just at the end, the private prayer. The public prayer. This is from verse 30 to 40. This is the chunk in the, section, in the, in the middle there. And Elijah starts this section with this phrase, which I've got you to um, say with me. Come near me. So all the people approached him, and he repaired the altar. I find this really interesting, that the way Elijah invites the people close. It's like Elijah wants the people around him, the people of Israel, the prophets, everyone involved, to see his faith. Maybe at this point in the day, night has come, people have gotten over watching people cut and spear themselves and nothing happening. And um, So Elijah's like, regather the people, like, come near me. Watch this. Watch this. He didn't ask for privacy. He didn't say, all right, I'm going to pray. Just give me a moment, everyone. I'm just going to go pray over here for a second. He's like, no, come near me. Come near me. He wasn't, it, it doesn't appear this way anyway. He wasn't trying to get attention because he was full of pride, but rather he invited people close for their benefit. His heart was for the people. 
His heart was so that people would see that the Lord is God, that they would stop wavering between the two, that they would jump on to, to Yahweh's side and follow him. So he's like inviting them in, come close, come near me. Have you ever said this to somebody when it comes to your faith? I was challenged by this as I was preparing this week. Come near me. Come near me. Who have you invited in to witness um, you pray and exercise your faith? Our faith is not a private faith. Parts of it can be private. We can do things in private. And we'll get to the private prayers. Don't worry about that. It is a public faith. It is meant to be seen. It is meant to be witnessed. It's meant to bring influence to the people around us. Come near me. What would people see if you said that? What would people see if I said that? Come near me. Who has heard you pray this week? Who's heard you pray this month? Who's ever heard you pray? Your public prayers, your public faith is not just for you. It's for all of us. We pray together, out loud, for each other, as well as ourselves. And you might say, Brad, I'm just not a public prayer. I'll say, well, people miss out. People will miss out on what you have to bring. The next generation need to see our faith. You know the biggest reason that we don't run SBC Kids, and I've constantly pushed back on anyone who's ever tried to say, we should run kids from the start of the service to the end. They should be out for the whole time. Give them more time to do their program. You know the number one reason why I say, no, we won't do that. It's because the next generation need to witness us engaging in worship, engaging in our faith. There is nothing more important for a young person to see than grown people, the adults in their life, their parents, those that they look up to, genuine in their faith. We can never um, professionalise discipleship for young people and say, well, we're taking the kids one, one hour a week on a Sunday, that should be enough, they should be Christians. That's not enough. Kids need to see authentic faith through the adults in their life. One hour a week is nothing compared to the, the other 167 pray with our kids. Not long prayers. We don't write out a prayer that goes for an hour. Really simple prayers that they can repeat, that they can catch a hold of, that they can understand, that they can engage with. Come near me. If there's one thing I want to say this morning, it's this. Come near me. I want you to be able to echo that phrase. Like Elijah said, come near me. It says then that Elijah repaired the altar. Elijah repaired the altar. I mean, it wasn't Elijah's fault that the altar just got wrecked, was it? It was the, it was the prophet of Baal's fault and their incompetence to pray effectively. Surely they had to make it right for Elijah to do his thing. Again, I just find this fascinating that Elijah didn't let someone else's mistake stop him doing what he was supposed to do. He didn't put the excuse of like, well, when they tied up their mess, 
when they fix their problems, then I'll be able to do what I'm supposed to do. But until then, eh -eh, can't do it. Now, Elijah's just like, I'll prepare it. I need to do this. This is what God is calling me to do. So, I mean, as annoying as preparing this altar that I didn't break is, I will do it. Because the, what God is calling me to is more important. Elijah knew this. His job was to pray and seek God and show everyone how miraculous God was. It wasn't to get upset at what other people were doing. No doubt there's people in your life that have caused um, damage, they've torn things down, it's made it harder for you to pray your prayer and to exercise your faith. But you, if you're waiting on those same people to repair what they've torn down, you'll be waiting forever. Your faith is not in someone else's hands, your faith is in your hands. Jesus lived in a way that was unoffendable. It didn't matter what people accused him of or said about him. He wasn't living to make other people happy. He was living for his Father's glory. When we get upset and offended by others, it prevents us coming to God the way he wants. The enemy loves to distract us with getting upset and offended by people. And our world at the moment loves to be offended. I think it's really important that as Christians we choose to live unoffendable lives doing what God is calling you to, living for our Father's glory, because no one can stop that. So Elijah repaired the altar, then he prepared the altar. It goes on to say in the next coming verses that Elijah got the, built the, he got the wood, he got the trenches, he drenched the altar. There was to be no doubt that this was God at work, not Elijah. The miracle belonged to God alone. Elijah was very clear in his actions, that that's what he wanted people to see. If it was me, I might have brought my, maybe my blower that I use sometimes to start a fire, some newspaper, kindling, matches, petrol, diesel, flamethrower, whatever. I mean, I mean I've got to do what I can to control the situation, right? Like if, if the challenge is build a fire, make a, a bull burn, I mean, I'm just going to do what's in my control to do it. I think there's a tension here, isn't there? Because no doubt Elijah in his past has built and started a fire before. Have you thought about this before? It's not like Elijah's not been in the wilderness. He's probably built a fire before. Rub the stones or the sticks or ting, ting, whatever. Flints, whatever they had back then. Started the flame, whooshed it up, burnt an offering. But at this time... He's not using his skills and his God-given abilities to start the fire. Instead, he's relying on God to do it, on something that he could do himself. You thought about this? Sometimes we can think, well, God's given me the, the skill and the abilities to do all these things. I've got to use my um, effective words and prowess, and like, I've just got to learn to be better at talking to people and doing all these ministry things. And yes, there is that time to get better and be better at doing those things. But there are also times for God to do His miracle. And how do we know when, what the difference is? Well, how did Elijah know? He walked with God. It was clear. It was so evident. He knew God's voice. It was a discernment of the Spirit. There was no sort of secret formula that Elijah worked out, well, it's a Tuesday, the wind's blowing in from the north. Oh, must be time for God to do a miracle, not me. 
There was no sort of secret formula that Elijah worked on. It was simply that he knew God's voice and he was able to discern the spirit and the working of God to know that this is God's time to, to do a miracle. There are times where God will want us to speak to someone and share our faith and, um, and do certain things in, in front of people and with people to help them and encourage them in their faith. And there's going to be other times where God's going to say, just stop talking for a minute. Take a step back. I know that you probably can, but this is not your time. This is my time. And we've got to be able to discern the Spirit to know the difference between the two. Elijah was the one who set the challenge up. He was to trust God from the start, to see God come through. Remember the first week of the Elijah series, we used this idea, if we can... If you can live without supernatural intervention, you will. If you live in a way that only God can move, he will. I mean, let's think about the actions of Elijah here for a second. He gets at least four gallons of water to drench the altar. What are they in the middle of at this time? What hasn't happened for three years? Rain, right? No rain, no clouds, nothing in the sky. And so Elijah's here, bring me four gallons of water. You can see the people looking around, it's like, he's joking, right? Like, you know what's up, Elijah. You caused this, and now you're thirsty? Like, maybe they're thinking, what's the water for? Four gallons of water. Oh, again, again, three times. Just imagine them pouring it out, it's like, okay, it's like, I suppose we're going to die anyway. Like, I don't know what they thought. Or no one put up a protest and said, oh, that's not a good idea, Elijah. We've got to, we've got to ration this a little bit more. In three years of drought and famine, there's no water to spare, let alone water to be poured out on an offering that's about to be consumed by fire. But Elijah already had faith for the next miracle. He's already thinking ahead of what God is doing. He sees the big picture like God does. He's not just believing for fire, but he's anticipating rain. God is about to move, not just for his glory, but for the provision of his people. God is about both his glory and his people. God wants to see how, people to see how good he is, but also to see how much he loves them. And both were being seen in, these, in this event. The purpose was to draw people to God. The whole point of this exercise was not to boost Elijah's self-esteem, but to show people that the true God was Yahweh and the Baals were not worth worshipping. The whole point of us praying and wanting to see miracles is not so our lives will be better, but so that others will see Jesus. What happens to us in our Western culture, going back to the start of asking what do you want for dinner tonight, we live in a world of luxury and comfort. And when that luxury and comfort somehow wavers from our life, somehow disappears a little bit, our prayers are centered around bringing that back. Don't get me wrong, you can pray for your luxury and comforts, for your health and, and all the things to make your life good. But God's desire if you would believe it, it's not just for your comfort, but for, for other people to know him. And he will do whatever he has to do to get there. 
And he wants that to be our biggest prayer. What is your biggest prayer right now? Is it like Elijah that you would be used somehow so that others could see the reality of Jesus? Or is it for something more personal? Something more of a comfort. And when I'm saying comfort, I'm not just talking about, you know, a nice new blanket for you to sleep with. I'm talking about, you know, just like provision, you know, that we're things, genuine needs that we have. But they should be secondary to people seeing Jesus, coming to know Jesus. That should be our biggest prayer, surely. Don't get me wrong, pray for healing, pray for financial breakthrough, pray for all the things that you're praying for, but more than that, pray for your neighbour. Pray for your friend who doesn't know Jesus. Pray for that family member who doesn't yet know Jesus. Pray that you might be used in the process of them coming to know him. Other thing about Elijah's public prayer, it was pretty brief. 40-odd words, you could say it in less than a minute. It was pretty brief. It wasn't a long, drawn-out thing. I mean, the prophets of Baal, they spent, what, 12 hours doing their prayer. No good. Elijah comes along, less than 60 seconds. Fire. As with most public prayers in the scriptures, it's not many words. And I think this is really important for us to all know and hear. The important thing about praying in front of others is not the length, but rather that it happens. Don't worry about praying many words. Worry about praying many prayers. Keep it simple, keep it short, keep it to the point. Matthew 6 verse 7, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. The prayer was brief. brief. Elijah prayed, fire came. The prayer is answered. It's recorded that fire fell. It doesn't get too specific on what it looked like, how long the fire lasted, how hot it was. The point was the prayer was answered. God's glory was shown. The point of our prayers is not how they're answered, but rather that they are. Don't prescribe your prayers. Pray your prayers. Keep it simple, to the point. The fire comes, then Elijah says to Ahab, go and get something to eat. I hear a rain cloud or a storm coming. <laughs> Everyone's looking up going, I don't know how this guy knows what he knows, but all right, we're going to believe him. He's just, I mean, did you see that fire? Our rain, it's going to come put the fire out, fill up our four gallons of what we just wasted. Elijah goes up to pray, Ahab goes to eat. As Elijah goes, he says, the storm's coming, the drought is about to break. And there was at this stage no sign of a cloud, no sign of rain, but Elijah was about to go and pray. Elijah had just spent some time praying publicly, now it was time to go and pray in private for a more more important matter of rain. The rain that he'd already known was going to come. It was time to pray for it. You know, sometimes knowing God's will and purpose is not just enough. He wants us to pray it too. Sometimes we know God's going to do something or we know that God wants to do something and we think, well, he'll do it if he wants to. Elijah knew that the rain was coming. I mean, he sort of prophesied it, but when he prayed for it anyway, He prayed for it as well. 
God wants to use and cooperate with us in our prayers. He has a purpose in us praying to him. It's not just that he will move to action, but it will change something in us as well. That our faith will be refined as we pray. We can't just rest in the fact that God's grace is for all people. He wants us to pray for people to know that grace. What do you know of God? What do you know he wants to do? How are you praying for it? As the team comes, we're going to, we've got time? We don't. Five minutes. Glenn, can you, just Glenn, just Glenn. I want to try something. Giving you some warning. I want to try something that I don't normally try. If there's something to learn from Elijah, it's this, that we pray. We pray in front of others. We pray privately. We pray to God. And we pray that others would see Jesus. But that we would pray. We had a prayer and worship night last Sunday night here. It's fantastic. And, and at one point in that sort of time, we offered people to come and pray. And I want to give you the chance, and it's only five minutes, and you have to pray for less than 60 seconds, so it's going to go less than five minutes. The first five people, come right now if you want to, to pray publicly for our town, for our families, for our kids, to know Jesus, to not waver. It's all good for me to pray it, but God wants us all to pray it, if you feel like you want to come do this, I'm going to wait for five people to come up and join me on stage. We can all hold hands together. If you're nervous, good. There's something about us praying publicly in front of each other. Maybe no one's ever heard you pray and you can just feel the spirit going, it's you, it's you. Come up here, Sophie. Get this. Four other people. We'll wait. Soup will go cold. Good on you, Guy. Thanks, Lauren. Two more. Don't be shy. It's not a long prayer. Simple prayer. Can't go for more than a minute. You'll be buzzed off. No, you won't. Not only Jane, thank you. One last person. Yes. Come on, John. Is it John? Oh. And Douglas, hold on. Six. All right. We'll start at this end. Happy to start, guy. You can just pray. Pray, and then just pass the mic down. We're all going to pray. Let's all stand. Let's join our faith with these prayers, all right? Thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength to stand here today. It's a long journey, but a good one. I'm glad to be here, and thank you, God, for everything you've done to support me. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we can come together like this, that we can um, speak to you, Lord, that we can... Um, know that our prayers are heard, Lord, and we know that um, you want good for all of us here today, Lord. We just 
Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you that you hear us, Lord. We just pray that we, we can be better and stronger for you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for each of us here. And um, I particularly just pray for those who may feel that they're in a spiritual drought where it may have been dry for many years, just like in the story in Elijah. And I just, I pray, Lord, that for those of us who, who feel spiritually dry, that just like Elijah climbed to the mountain and fell to his knees, that we too may come before you and, and try and hear you and, and feel closer to you and that that rain cloud may only be a small, small fist, Lord, far away on the horizon. But I pray for our faith to increase, to look to the horizon, to anticipate that small rain cloud. And it may be tiny, um, whatever it is in our lives, but I, I pray for that faith to increase for each of us spiritually that there may be um, a breakthrough, a downpour, and a rain that is so drenching spiritually that it would hinder people from travelling, um, you know, that, that kind of spiritual drenching. So I just pray for that for each of us. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement to pray publicly. Thank you, Lord, for all the people here who want to pray and give them strength encourage to pray privately if not publicly because you say if we ask you will give us but if we don't ask the Lord doesn't know he can see on our hearts but we need the courage to actually speak it out both in private and in public but I just pray for our brothers and sisters in our homes, Lord, we pray that you stay with them and bless them. Whatever things they do today, Lord, we you be with them. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Just pray. Pray for people out there that need to know you. Thank you, Lord. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much, guys. Well done. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. I encourage you to pray with each other, for each other. Have a great week. Don't forget, Connect Lunch is on. See you again next Sunday.